Well, I wrestled with what to preach today. And as I was studying Philippians, I, I realized where we're at in the word is really where we're at. And in all of the Bible, the passage that speaks how to have true liberty, how to have true freedom, comes from this very passage. Philippians chapter 4 has some amazing verses in it. It is really a hallmark on many issues. And one of those is true liberty. And so today we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content, for I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Boy, what an appropriate scripture. Because we're all having to learn how to be abased. <laughs> we're right now in one of the worst economic times that our country has ever seen. And uh, we are being ruled by insane people with insane ideas that is disturbing the freedom and the peace of our country. And uh, I can't say it's that much different than when Paul was in Rome. And it is only a matter of time after they go out of our First Amendment that they'll be going after our freedom to speak and to say what we want. I know I taught a few weeks ago on Genesis 18, which is on when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, we have not been able to be back on Facebook or YouTube since then. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't a fiery message. It was simply just reading the passage. But uh, you, don't, you can't do that in America. <laughs> you can't read every passage of the Bible, only select few passages that, that doesn't offend. But the, the Bible tells us to love everybody, but not to approve of everything. And we would not be speaking the truth in love if we didn't tell them the truth. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is tell people what they don't want to hear. And uh, we have to stand for the truth because the truth is true. Whether God says it or not, it's true. It's true because it's true. We've been made with divine laws and earth laws, whether it's gravity or whether it's truth about purity. They stand. But God told us to make it clear to us. He didn't have to tell us. There's a lot of true things that are not in the Bible. But uh, he told us because he wants us to be set free. And this is one of those right here. So the topic today is on contentment, which in reality is the only true freedom that a man can have. All day long, we're hearing advertisers say, we must have it, we must buy it, we must drive it, we must wear it, we must eat it, we must put this in our hair. We need shinier, newer, bigger. And it's amazing how content we can be until we see something better than what we have. It's amazing. I, I know that happened with cell phones, you know. Oh, the new cell phone came out, and six months later, it's like, eh, that thing's a piece of garbage. You need a new cell phone. I'm like, I do. I do. I, I need that one that's shinier and faster and, you know, waiting that nanosecond for something to come up on, uh, you know, the Internet is just too long. I need something that's a fifth of a nanosecond to come up. You know, we see this today. The advertisers are brilliant. They tell us that we should not be content with what we have and that true fulfillment, true satisfaction isn't going to come until you have their newest, shinier, bigger, better product. Proverbs 20 or 27, 20 says, the eyes of man are never satisfied. Isn't that the truth? True contentment is only found in Christ and having a near relationship to him. If you're finding yourself discontent, I'll tell you what, the newer, shinier, prettier, better, bigger, 
it will not satisfy. You think it does up until the point you buy it or get it or obtain it. And then almost immediately is the buyer's remorse, is the reality that the expectation of that fulfilling your life, it only lasted a fraction of a second. And guess what? The grass wasn't greener on the other side. There's as many problems with this newer, shinier, better than there was with the old one. All you did is trade it in for one set of problems for a new set of problems. Paul said in Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. True contentment comes as we live in Christ, as we are found in Christ, and as we move in this world being Christ-centered in Christ upon the throne of our hearts. I think of what God told Abraham and this story in chapter 14 is he just met Melchizedek. <clears throat> and he came to learn that it's in God Most High, the King of Peace, that he found contentment. And then in the very next chapter, God tells him, I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. Abraham, even after he met with Melchizedek and had this wonderful experience, a spiritual experience, he immediately turned back to earth stuff and the lack in his life. In this case, it was having a son. And the Lord says, having a son isn't going to satisfy you. You think that's all I need is a son and all my child will satisfy me. And he's saying it's not the truth. The truth is that which is causing you discontent is not, not having children, but it's him. It's seeing that Christ is our exceedingly great reward. A.W. Pink says it really wonderfully. I love the first line of this quote. I want to read it twice. Contentment then is the product of the heart resting in God. I'm going to read that again. Contentment, then, is the product of the heart resting in God. He goes on to say, It is the soul's enjoyment of that peace that passes all understanding. It is the outcome of my will being brought into subjection to the divine will. It is the blessed assurance that God does all things well and is, even now, making all things work together for my ultimate good. Well, we come now to verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but lacked opportunity. Paul is, is saying that uh, I, I realize that your love for me and your desire to help me has always been there. Even in the season, it wasn't coming in. It wasn't there. Because I knew it wasn't that you didn't care. It's just you lacked opportunity. And that probably had to do with Paul being moved around and not being able to find where he was being housed as a prisoner. And then he goes on in verse 11 to say, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. So he's going to tell us, yes, I have need, but I don't feel the need. Because I have learned how to be content, even in the worst of worst situations. Being a prisoner in Rome, away from everybody and everything, in isolation and solitude with lack, I still find myself quite at rest in Christ, quite fulfilled and satisfied in Christ. But then he says, it's, this has been a process. It didn't happen overnight. I didn't just end up in prison and automatically content. He says, I had to learn in whatever state I am to be content. It was a process of growing because it's not natural in our human nature. Our human nature, it's set to always be discontent. It's always one. You see even little babies sometimes on the rug 
and they're playing with the toy until they see the toy in the other kid's hand. And then what do they want? Nothing else will do. A thousand toys. Maybe a toy exactly like it. Yes, we see it right from the beginning of being born into this world, that discontentment. Paul really gives a great exhortation in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse 6, he says, Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. We've been made in the image of God. The closer we walk to his image, the freer we are. Freedom is not given a license to do whatever your flesh fills. That's the lie being told throughout the society, of even all through the world today. True freedom is, if I want to punch you in the face, I can do it and there's no consequences. If I want to go steal something out of the store, nobody will arrest me for it. True freedom is being able to do what I want, when I want, however I want. No. True freedom is when you can do what's right and it's not hard to do it. When you can do what's true and lovely and it doesn't burden you to do that. My kids, I, they were raised where I made them do the dishes and take out the trash and mow the yard and all of that. Why? Because one day when they're in their house, I want them to be able to take out the trash or do the dishes or mow the yard without it being a burden to them. I want character of labor and being a servant and working hard to be a very part of their character. And I know they don't start that way. <laughs> it has to be a learned behavior. And so Paul says, it's coming to find our peace and our rest and our contentment in Christ. And you know what? If you're living in a mansion, it's not in the mansion. It's not in the 13 uh, cars in the garage. It's not in the big swimming pool in the back or the view of the ocean, although it's close. <laughs> it's going to only be found, the contentment in the soul. And that can only be found in Christ and being in harmony with him. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 7 and 8, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Isn't that crazy? You can be a pauper, and you're in the hospital bed with your little tiny gown on with your butt shining out the back. Or you could be a billionaire sitting in a bed with that same little uniform on with your butt sticking out the back. And the fact is, is when we die, we all become dirt <laughs> once again. And nobody takes anything with them. In 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, he go, oh, excuse me, but he says in verse 8, but having food and clothing, with these we should be content. That's it. Not houses, not cars, not cell phones, not vacations. Just getting by today. I haven't starved to death. And I got some clothes to cover my naked body. And that's it. Nothing more do we need if we're in Christ. So all those things past that we say we need, it's really we want. I mean, don't we teach our children that? Dad, it's 10 o'clock at night and I need a bowl of ice cream. No, 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 no. You want a bowl of ice cream. I need a new bike. No, no, no. You want a new bike. There's a big difference. And often we fault God with not coming through for us because we're telling him it's a need when he's telling us, no, my son, it's a want. <laughs> Even though it may seem like a need, it's not. If you have food and clothing, that's all that God has said that he will come through for. In verse 9 and 10, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not money itself, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith. Going from whatever state they were in to becoming wealthy 
was not a blessing, only a curse. And a person that was once walking and being content in godliness, now the money has tripped them up and stumbled them and caused them to become, he says here, a greedy person who's pierced through with many sorrows. I can tell you if it doesn't destroy the person, it often destroys the children. Solomon in Ecclesiastes, and here was a wealthy man. He did not tell his body no to anything. Whatever he wanted, he ate. Whatever he desired, he got. Even if it was 700 wives and 300 concubines, and even in all of that, he was a man who was empty. And he says, my life is vain. He's sitting in the palace in incredible splendor. The finances have never been better than the time Solomon. It says that silver was like a rock on the ground. You know, we might see a penny and say, it's not worth for me to pick up that penny. So in our time, copper is like a rock on the ground. But in Solomon's time in Jerusalem, silver, a silver coin. You go, ah, it's not worth me bending over, picking up. That was the wealth of that society. But he said, it hurt us. Look in Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance shall not be satisfied with increase. This also is vanity. Look on in Ecclesiastes 5.12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. I remember years ago hearing an interview of Oprah Winfrey right as she went from being a millionaire to a multimillionaire. And the interview was being held in a 1,400 square foot condo downtown Chicago. And they walked in and go, oh, I, I like your condo. She goes, it's not mine, I'm just renting. <laughs> she goes, I bought a house in Hollywood. I got sued by the gardener, by the pool guy. By, <laughs> I, I was spending all my time in court getting sued by people. I always had to have at least one, if not three people in the house to keep it up and to keep it clean and, and to take care of everything. She goes, I never found peace. I had to sell it and, and uh, I don't even own a car. I, I have a service that picks me up. And he goes, well, how is it being wealthy? She goes, it's not the way I thought it would be. And she discussed how stressful being rich was. Well, we know that to be true, don't we? Not because we're rich, we just have read about it. <laughs> then in Ecclesiastes 5.10, there is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. What is that severe evil? Riches kept for their owner to his own hurt. That he saw people become wealthy and the wealth hurt them. Oscar Wilde, the famous author, he, he got it right. He said this, there are two tragedies in this world. One who is not getting what you want. And the other is getting what you want. <laughs> Things will never satisfy you. The sooner you learn that, the better. We see, a fairly, we see on a very regular basis the rich people, the famous people, commit suicide. Afterwards, we discover in the midst of all their wealth and the love of the fans, they were miserable and in much pain. So wealth, fame, glory, it's all emptiness. You will not find contentment outside of Christ. In verse 12, for I know how to obey, be abased in poverty with want and hunger and need. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have both learned to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul is not saying this as a theoretical thing. He is living it. At one time, Paul had great wealth, and he had no financial need. 
We know that he was raised in Tarsus by a wealthy dad. We know that he had a Roman citizenship, would not have been, he had it by birth, but not his dad. His dad would have had to pay millions and millions of dollars to get that. And then when Paul was born, it passed down to him. He went to the finest schools, finally ended up the top school in Jerusalem, being taught by a guy named Gamaliel, which was hard to get into that school. He rose in great stature amongst the Jewish fear until he became the Pharisee of Pharisees. For many, the time of abundance and peace are their hurt. There's a great many men who know little how to be abased, but they do know, they do not, they know how to be abased, but they do not know how to abound. When they are put into the trial of Job or the prison of Paul, they shine away singing with grace in their heart. But when they're given wealth, the nice cars, the nice houses, and all of that, they no longer have a heart from God. It's hard to have a full wallet and a full heart of faith in God. Paul had been there. He had gone from wealth into deep, deep poverty. And wealth did not trip him up. There's a lot of men in the Bible that were very wealthy that had a wonderful heart for God. Jews and Gentiles. Nor did poverty trip him up. Paul knew how to be a base. For many Christians, as soon as things start going difficult, especially in the area of finances, they start doubting God, his goodness, and his power. I remember back before 2008, people doing outrageous things to buy houses. They were so crazy expensive, they couldn't afford what they were buying. And when 2008 came, and they had these houses that now are worth a fraction of what they paid for them a year, even five years earlier, they lost their houses. And many saw that as God not coming through for them, as God not hearing their prayers, as God not being faithful to, as a shepherd to them, and going through a difficult time. They walked away from God doubting his goodness, doubting his power. Boy, we see the example of all examples in all of human history, the literature. Nobody compares to Job. Remember, the Satan himself said, let me at him. He is a guy who is a fair weather follower. All his life, you've had him be wealthy and comfortable. You let me take away just a fraction of that and he'll curse you. God gave him permission. In verse 9, Satan of Job 1, verse 9, Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear you for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your faith. Well, thieves came and killed his men and took all his oxen and donkeys then fire came from heaven and killed all the shepherds and destroyed all the sheep yes guys satan can bring fire from heaven matter of fact we know in the end times many disbelieving people in the antichrist will become believers when he calls fire out of heaven even though we're told ahead of time that he has the power to do that and then a wind came and knocked down Job's oldest son's house and it just so happened that day that all of Job's kids were there at the older brother's house having a party and the house collapsed and killed all of Job's kids at once he went literally from being the wealthiest man on earth to a man in great grief and poverty but after all of this happened in Job 1 verse 20 and 22 Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. Notice he's grieving over the loss of his children. He doesn't fall to the ground and start cursing God, start doubting God. He falls to the ground to worship. You can't go any lower than the ground. <laughs> 
Once you prostrate yourself in worship, you can't humble yourself any more than that. He humbled himself completely, and in that humility, he worshiped God. And he said this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. It's always been the case. If I have a billion dollars and die, I take nothing with me. If I have no money and die, I take nothing with me. Who is the biggest fool? (laughs) And then he says this, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and praises his name. I'm not praising him because I'm getting wealthy. I'm praising him because he is God. And then it, he takes away everything. Guess what? My praise didn't change in iota. Thank you, God, for being you. You're still wonderful in all your ways. What happens to me on earth, Job is saying, does not change the wonderful, gracious, loving, powerful name of God. And it never, Satan's plan never was going to work. And then he said, then the Bible says this, In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Faith. He had a trust and he had a knowledge. He knew God. He really knew God. He knew him as a friend. And he knew that God is God, whether my life on earth is wonderful or horrible. Whether an earthquake comes and destroys everything I have, or a flood, or a tornado, or a hurricane, or Joe Biden, whatever destroys. (laughs) God is still God. And so now we see here in this state to which God permitted his apostle Paul to be reduced. His entire ministry was so hard. His whole life, once he became a Christian, saw nothing but difficulty. You know, there's a lot of Christians in the world. That's true, guys. Before they become a Christian, they have a family. They have a business. Maybe it's a family business in India or one of the Arab countries. And then they believe in God. Their wife divorces them. Their parents have nothing to do with them. They can't get a job anywhere. That's the case in the majority of the population of the world to this day. For Paul, it was no different in the Jewish society. His wife divorced him. He had no future because he was going to be a rabbi. and He's not going to be a rabbi now, at least in the Jewish culture. And so Paul lost all the moment, and his life became very difficult. I wonder if it was extra hard for Paul at first because he is wealthy all his life. And then after becoming wealthy all his life, then he lost it all. Wouldn't it be better in a sense to never have been wealthy at all than to be wealthy for a portion of your life and then to be in poverty the rest? Wouldn't it be easier just to sort of be in poverty the whole time? But I can't imagine somebody who's been very, very wealthy and then lose it all and have to live in poverty. That would be just a very difficult thing. Well, in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul describes his difficulty in 1 and 2 Corinthians. Bear with me as I read a couple of rather lengthy passages. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are are wise in Christ. We're weak, but you are strong. You're distinguished, but we're dishonored. To this present hour, we are both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed, beaten, and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure it. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, as the offscouring of all things until now. So imagine the worst of the worst of the garbage, Paul saying the offscaring, we're the worst of the worst of garbage on this planet with the way we're being treated by men. And the church in Corinth was doing well wealthy and they were looking down their noses at Paul because he was poor. (laughs) 
they're going, yeah, we're doing great as Christians and everything's going fine for us. And they're saying, but you're poor and you're dressed poor and you don't have any money. And they're looking down their noses at him. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 through 12, Paul says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. We're confused. Uh, Wow, why is God allowing that? I I don't understand. But we're not in despair because God's God. He's got in control. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Here's verse 10. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also be made manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also be made manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. We think about Paul being in prison for so many years, but had he not been in prison, those letters he wrote to all the churches would have been sermons there in those churches he would have preached. So he he had a sense. I don't think he had an understanding until he got to heaven. But he had a sense in writing those letters how of God they were. And of course, he had no idea that they would be for the church, a Bible, for the last 2,000 years. He really gets into it in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prison more frequently, in deaths often. For the Jews five times I received, forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And then in Acts 27, 28, there's a fourth time he was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often. You have a hard time sleeping? So did Paul. In hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, that which comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Everywhere and in all things, he had to learn to be full and then to be hungry, to abound, but then also to learn how to suffer need. Extremes, Paul experienced, both are equally hard. Either direction is hard. I mean, we think about how many times in history we see poor people with amazing characters. They're the most giving and kind and and charitable people. And then by, Lord, by some random fortune, they become wealthy. And that same poor person with great character becomes mean and stingy and cruel. And all that wonderful character he had when he was in his poverty is now completely gone. And he is himself as a rich man, an oppressor. History is full of such stories. But on the other hand, we think of somebody who has plenty of money to go where they want to do what they want, to live the way they want. And uh, I know people personally that have grown up in mansions, basically. And often they had houses in many locations around the nation, and they, they could summer here and springtime here and winter over there. And they never made their own bed. They never took out the trash. They never cooked a meal. Matter of fact, they never even went to the grocery store to buy stuff for a meal. And then when they're ready to get their first house, it's a mansion. And they have all the servants taking care of them equally. It's hard for me to imagine that. But when they see a regular person's house, they're often sort of dumbstruck, you know. They've never lived in a house smaller than 8,000 square feet. <laughs> and now they're looking at some guy who has 1,200 square feet. And they're just going, this, this would kill me. <laughs> I could not do this. This would be like being in prison. So I, I can't imagine having wealth and then going down to some lesser level. We remember in the, start, in, the stack, in the stock market crash of the 1930s, how many people just thinking about it for a minute 
jumped off of skyscrapers to kill themselves. To think of themselves living in a regular neighborhood next to regular people, driving regular cars, having to go to the grocery store themselves and prepare their own food. They couldn't stand for it. They couldn't stand to see their wife do that. They couldn't stand to think of their children not living the privileged life. And they killed themselves. So if you have not been raised in such a, a way, be thankful. God wasn't unkind to you by not making you rich. He was very kind to you to not making you very rich. And even to this day, again, it's hard to have a full heart and a full wallet at the same time. So he says here, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. By the grace of God, by the strength of Christ, there is no situation I could ever get on on this planet that God isn't going to be able to get me through. I've lost a son at 21. I've lost a grandbaby. We've had great loss. And in each time, God's grace was overwhelmingly sufficient. Not that there wasn't a process to learn, a process of grieving, but never once for a second did we ever fault God or get mad at God. We know that all our lives, the sands of our lives are in his hands. For one, it may be a day. For another, it may be 120. God is not unjust in giving anybody a day to live. God is not unjust giving somebody else 120 years to live. God is God. He's sovereignly in control. I do want to stop for a minute as we think of this verse we often know and quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. People often use it out of context. And they use it in such a way to say, if you really have faith, you're superhuman. You can you know, leap tall buildings in a single bound and run faster than a locomotive. And No, nowhere in the Bible does God say that if you have faith, you can have the power to be superhuman. And it is not saying that here. In context, Paul is saying, I can find myself content in him every single time. So he's boasting. I've been rich. I've been poor. I'm hungry. I've been full. I, I, and you're going, wow, Paul, you're pretty proud of yourself, aren't you? Well, I learned to be content. Without verse 13, it sounds like Paul is sort of being prideful. But with verse 13, he realizes that, and he's saying to everybody, it wasn't me that got me there. <laughs> Paul, in his strength, would have been upset and mad when he lost all his wealth and ended up in poverty. Paul himself could never be content stuck in this stupid prison. But as I am finding my life in him, I have found a strength, a power that I had no idea that existed. And it came from Christ. Now, I don't want to say there's not secondary meanings of this. If you're married and having a hard time loving your wife as Christ loves the church, I say to you, you can do all things to Christ who strengthens you. If you're a person that finds yourself in addiction and you've tried repeatedly to get out of that addiction, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If you're finding yourself angry and bitter and you can't seem to get rid of that, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. God will give us wisdom and power that we know not of that will come directly from His Spirit as we are living in Him as we are communing with him. And God allows discontentment, hardship, difficulty to drive us deeper into him. So if you hit your hand with a hammer, it's a good thing it hurts. If not, there's something wrong with you. And you're going to probably die early. In the same way, if you're discontent, that only means you're human. If you're struggling with sin, that only means you're human. If you're selfish and self-seeking, this is a part of our fallen human nature. 
But as Christians, God's spirit lives in us and grieves saying, no, 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 no. You're a king's kid. You're a priest unto me. My father has made you kings and priests unto Jesus forever and ever. You must not stay in this place. But we quickly find that our knowledge we have, the love we have, the resources we have, wherever we have attained in Christ and our current pilgrimage in him, it is not yet sufficient for this day. And as we press into him and seek him and abide deeper in him, allow his spirit to fill our hearts up with a love we not, do not know, a satisfaction we have not yet understood. Through Christ and his spirit, we can do all things. Now the flip side of that coin, Jesus tells us in John 15, 5, which is apart from me, what? You can do nothing. Oh, how people get angry at that verse. Let me tell you, I was born in poverty and I went to the best school because I worked my butt off and I, and I did it and I did this and I did that and, and I'm you know patting myself on the back. I made myself great. Well, on earth things, yes. But spiritual fruit, a contentment in the heart, no man can pull himself up by the bootstraps and have a love for his fellow man that he should have have a love for his wife or his kids or to be not self-seeking but to put others first with all his glory and all his power and all his trophies he will find that he is not the ruler of his own heart that the whims of his heart will carry him this way carry him that way and even though he knows this is foolishness he cannot resist the passions of his heart because in his spirit, if he doesn't know Christ, it's dead. But even if you know Christ, it's weak until you grow and strengthen yourself in the inner man by fellowship with God. No true spiritual gain can we give another, can we serve mankind with apart from Christ. Only without him, we cannot live a life with eternal weight, with eternal glory, with eternal blessing. So these two principles are absolutely essential. They're absolutist principles. With Jesus, we can do all things. Without him, without Jesus, we can do, we can't do anything or we, we can do no, nothing of true lasting value. So guys, as we finish up here, true liberty, true freedom comes in true contentment. And it's only found in Christ. And we are going to find ourselves unhappy, depressed, struggling, discontent because it's the Lord pressing us deeper into him. That we wouldn't have just a shallow relationship, but a deep relationship in him once again in Acts 17 28 for in him we live and move and have our very being he is our shield he alone is our exceedingly great reward Jesus said it so perfectly in John 4 10 remember with the woman at the well Jesus answered and said to her if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He goes on in this discussion in verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. In John 6, 35, Jesus says it plainly to all the crowd. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never, what? Hunger, be discontent, lacking, wanting more. But he who believes in me and he who believes in me shall never thirst. It's Jesus. He's the bread. He's the drink. As we come and live unto him, eat of Jesus, drink of Jesus deeply. We will never hunger again. We will never thirst 
and we find ourselves hungry or thirsty, it's because we need more of that bread. We need more of his word, more time in prayer, more time hearing the word of God preached. In John 7, 37 and 38, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his own heart, out of his heart, Holy Spirit, God strengthen us in their man, will flow rivers of living water. Not only will we satisfy our contentment, but we will find others' contentment by our life being filled with the Spirit and overflowing with the Spirit. People will find that we are the richest people on earth, even if we're in poverty. And I have had that told by rich men. I wish my kids had the character of your kids. I wish I had the same contentment and joy that you have. And at that point, I'm so thankful. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't let me get so rich that I say I have no need of you. Thank you that you gave me the bread that was allotted for me, that I could have a full heart and, a, and a, a wallet to the full as I can without it changing my dependence on you, my need for you, my hunger for you. In Psalms, David says it this way, in Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy. And then get this, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That which satisfies us is Christ. And guess what? When we get to heaven, we're going to get that all the time. In Psalm 107.9, in the ESV version, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Our God satisfies the hungry, longing soul. Finally, in Isaiah 55, this is an exhortation to all of us, but especially those who don't know if Jesus is the Lord of your life, if you are saved. It says in John 3, 16, whoever believes in him, you're a whoever, will not perish. And on top of that, will have everlasting life. Believe in Jesus to be your Savior, your Messiah. In Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, Oh, everyone who thirsts or discontented, needing something more, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? There you go. All your money isn't going to fill you up. All your money is not going to satisfy you. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in the abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. What is that? By inclining your ear to come to me. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. How? By hearing God's word right now and coming unto Jesus. All I am is really is a traffic cop. I'm saying, stop, okay, go. <laughs> but I'm just stopping the people that aren't on their way to Jesus. And those who are on their way to Jesus, I'm like, get going, keep going, that's the right way. But so often people hear the word of God, but don't believe it. Well, yeah, I know you're saying be satisfied with what they have, and if I need more satisfaction, it's in Christ. But, and all I can do is say, 
stop and turn and go towards Jesus. He alone will cause your soul to live. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word today. Truly, as you had said, we would know the truth and your truth would set us free. Truly, as you have said, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, how true you are. As we come line upon line through your word. And today we're so worried about our liberty in our country. We know it may disappear. That the very thing that has fallen upon Venezuela and so many other countries may come our way. We'll fight. We'll scream. We'll do what our forefathers said. But at the end of it all, we know that the most free country in the world cannot free our souls. We know the wealthiest and best economy in the world can be sometimes the worst thing for us. Cause whole souls that normally would have been perceptive in poverty are closed like a wall to you in riches and abundance. So Lord, we don't know if abundance is something to pray for. A greater economy is something that will privilege us. We know that our country today has such a hard heart towards you. And even many conservative Christians who use the name of God, they really don't find their rest in you. So Lord, help us to stop and hear your word. And after this message today, if they don't know Christ, to come to Christ. If they do know Christ, to press in upon you. Naked we came in this world, naked we go out. We, took, we brought in nothing and we're going to take out nothing. And we know that even if we're in prison, we can be the happiest, most content, full of joy people in the world. Because all we need to be rich is to be in sweet fellowship with you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.